Welcome to Bringing Truth to Life. My name is Henry Clay, and we hope you enjoy this series of messages on cultivating a heart for God. Well, we're in the sixth night of our series, Cultivating the Heart. And we're going to go over our catechism. We have a small screen tonight. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And then you're sitting there thinking, now he's going to ask us to say that two times. So yes, I am. Let's say that two times together. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Then we talked about removing the rubble from your heart and the... Jesus healing the leper, Lord, you can make me clean. Let's say that twice. Lord, you can make me clean. Lord, you can make me clean. I want you to close your eyes now and tell the Lord that one time. Ready? Lord, you can make me clean. Then we looked at the law of sowing and reaping. Let's see if we can do that one. Um, you reap what you sow later than you sow and more than you sow. Isn't that what it was? Yeah, okay, let's do it again. See, I, I need your help. You reap what you sow, later than you sow, more than you sow. One more time, because we were rough, rusty on that. You reap what you sow, later than you sow, more than you sow. And we didn't have a great slogan for the one on humility. Sorry about that. But uh, how important to realize that God is humble, and He invites us to be, and, and demands that we grow in humility, not so that he gets all the limelight, but so that we'll be more like him and we can understand each other. He's the greatest servant. Tonight we want to talk about binding up the brokenhearted. Binding up the brokenhearted. And we want to look at this verse together. It's, so feel free to look at that uh, either on the screen or in your Bible. Isaiah 61.1. It's a prophecy of the Messiah, the coming one who would be Christ. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And we are taking out of that the phrase, He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Now in these weeks on Cultivating the Heart, we've talked about a, number, a lot of different issues. And it could be that we have you feeling kind of low by now. You're thinking, well, yeah, I have a lot of rubble in my heart, and I'm supposed to guard my heart, and above all else, and I'm not. And you're realizing to your horror that you have sown things, not realizing they were seeds. You thought they were rocks, you know, and you sowed all of these things that were bad things, but you thought, well, it's, you know, I won't tell them if you won't. And now we think, those weren't rocks, those were seeds. And there's coming a harvest, and I'm going to reap what I sow more than I sow later than I sowed. This is getting worse every week. And then we talked about uh, the spirit of the lowly. And uh, in understanding more what humility is, you realize uh, I'm not doing very well there either. So tonight I wanted to talk about uh, uh, the comfortable words of our Savior and to realize that he didn't come to get us like a, a bug collector and get us with that pin, you know, and stick us in the styrofoam and just kind of have us in his collection. 
He didn't come to dissect you or to uh, accuse you, but it says here, among other things, that he was sent to bind up the brokenhearted. Church, for a lot of people, is a wonderful place, but for some people, or at some times in their life, it's not as wonderful. It seems like when you come into a church that everybody else is just doing so fine. You know, if you're single or single again, you come in and you see all these families. If you're married and haven't been able to have kids, you see when they dismiss the kids and they all run out and you're thinking, oh, well, I don't have any. And if you're struggling with some physical uh, limitation or sickness and you see all these healthy, robust people walking around, if you're real shy and it's difficult for you to express yourself and these other people, they just get up and they talk and they, they crack jokes and you, you'd fall over in a dead faint if you tried to do that. And, and so sometimes you just feel like you're kind of a mess and everybody else is okay. And you might wonder, is this even really a place for me? And sometimes maybe you feel like you're sort of on the outside looking in. And you wonder, well, you know, maybe I just shouldn't come. Maybe, maybe it's just too discouraging to even come and see all these other with it together, happy, healthy people uh, that everything's fine in their lives. So tonight, that may not be you tonight, but there are some of you that it is, and there are others who are listening to it on tape that were wondering if they were going to be able to handle another week of cultivating your heart uh, because it was maybe getting a bit discouraging for them. And I want to talk to that person tonight, even if it's just one of you. And if it's not you tonight, it might be you a different night. The truth is only heaven is heavenly, and sometimes we realize that more than other times. And I wonder tonight, uh, what are the things that have broken your heart? When it says he came to bind up the brokenhearted, what are the things that have broken your heart? I think first of shattered dreams. Shattered dreams. Moses, his one dream was to get to the promised land, and he didn't get there. He was God's friend. There was nobody more intimate with God at that period of time but Moses, God didn't let Moses go into the promised land. He had his reasons. That's, you need to study that on your own. But nevertheless, Moses had to deal with the tremendous disappointment of the one thing he most wanted and he couldn't have. And it was because of a failure, a moment of indiscretion, of, of anger, of disobedience. Probably kicking himself on that one. My great-grandfather uh, was at, went to seminary in 1860 and uh, up north from Savannah. And after the, one year, the war broke out and he went back down south to be with his family and served in the, in the war. And afterwards, they were just too poor for him to go get an education as a minister. So he never was able to go into the ministry. I still have his Bible, this old Bible all marked up. And, but I think it was a discouragement to him the rest of his life that he couldn't go into the ministry. How about you? Was there something in, in your career that just didn't work out? And, and it's far enough along now, you know it's, it's not going to work out. It's, you know, you used to have kind of your hopes that it would resurrect, but it, it didn't and it's not going to. Maybe uh, your dreams of getting married if you're, if you're single. And it could be that it's at a point where that's, you can tell that's probably not going to happen. It could be the desire to have children or grandchildren. 
And maybe for you, in your case, that's, that's not working out. What is it? What shattered dream might you have, even tonight, that still weighs on you? You try not to think about it too much. You kind of press on, but your, art, your heart aches. It hurts. Your heart, at least in that spot, is really broken. What's broken your heart? It might be some kind of pain or mistreatment. It might be something someone did to you when you were just a little child. So tender, so young. And it could be in the form of sickness that you weren't planning on having. Who plans on getting sick? Uh, it might be uh, cancer. It might be any, any number of things, but, but, but not things that just limit you, but also bring pain into your life. And it can be a heartbreak. I mean, you, you think, well, no, I just shouldn't let this bother me. I should, I should be a strong enough Christian where I will just march ahead anyway with a smile on my face like I've seen others, seems like they do. I, but I just can't. I'm just so broken up over this. Uh, how, how could this happen? It could be that when you were a child, you really never heard your dad say, I love you. Or your mom. Maybe your dad never was very affectionate. That pain, that mistreatment, it could be something from an, from an accident where uh, whatever happened in that accident, you've never fully recovered from it. It might be a tremendous trouble you've had with one of your children. It might be the loss of a loved one, but it's just broken your heart. Life is just not the same, and you realize when you think seriously about it, it's never going to be the same. That's it. And your heart's broken over that. Uh, a real tough one, as far as heartbreak, is the Judas in your life. Betrayal. The third one. And it was someone you trusted. That's why it's, it's more of a Judas. It's not like so much like it was Satan or, or Saul who pretty much declared, I'm against you. But it was someone with whom you ate bread who has lifted up his heel against you might be a parent, might be a brother or sister settling up an inheritance, it might be a spouse or an ex-spouse that you trusted so much and they lied to you, they deceived you, you really feel betrayed. It could be a financial advisor. My grandfather once owned half of Wilmington Island uh, down in, in Savannah. And some things happened there, and it was just really, really hard. I think, he, I think he forgave him, but he felt betrayed. It could be a, a pastor or a priest somewhere back there that you trusted, that either fell into sin or did something to you, but you really felt betrayed. They seemed so sincere. They, they promised and declared that they were a certain way, and it didn't turn out that way. And your heart's broken over that. And you, you want to get over it, you want to put it behind you, but you can just tell it's, it's right there and it's real strong. A fourth thing that might have broken your heart is failure. And sometimes this is the worst because it, it's decisions you made. It was a bad decision. And you're thinking, why, why did I do that? Uh, why did I say that thing? And in this case, if only you could blame someone else. But it's not someone else, it was you. And maybe others tried to stop you and you wouldn't listen. Might have been a bad decision about a marriage, 
about a business deal, about an investment, about a move, some decision about your children. This seems kind of little maybe to y'all, but one time Walt was rollerblading and fell, and he was about 10, and he jammed his finger, you know, but it really, really hurt. And I just assumed it was jammed and didn't take him in, and it was broken, and his finger to this day is crooked. Now, you know, most people don't notice, but I notice. And I know that his finger's that way because of, of me. And I wasn't. I just made a bad decision. And at that moment, I failed him as a dad. Where have you failed? And you still remember it because you still live with the consequences of it. And you can't change it. What has broken your heart? Now, what does God think about that? And what can we do about it? Because just coming up with a nice little jingle, oh, rejoice in the Lord always and everything give thanks, it just doesn't, doesn't quite seem to do it, you know? If you uh, had, a, had a spouse and now you don't have them because they, the, the, the Lord took them, uh, it just leaves an awful big hole. And maybe one day you're fine, but then the next day you're really down in the dumps. We're all going to have to pass through these valleys. And we need to have ways that we can learn to, to cope with it, to deal with it, to know what God is thinking during this time, to know how we should be thinking. And as I prayed about this, I really felt so strong that this was what I was supposed to talk about tonight. But every time I looked at what I had to say, I just felt like I had just such a, a nothing to say. I mean, this... You know, like a squirt gun at a big fire, you know, and you're just kind of shooting the squirt gun, but you think, this is kind of silly, you know. I mean, I, I can't tell any difference in this raging inferno with my squirt gun. But I'm just trusting that, that perhaps some words, some passage of Scripture, that the Lord uh, will apply it to your heart according to your need and go way beyond the little offering that I can give up tonight in the things I say. What to do about that broken heart? The first thing I, uh, I want to say very strongly is God wants to heal. Now, we, we're in the part of Christianity that really downplays pr healing, prayer, etc. There are so many abuses, and, and it can get into sensationalism. It can also get people's hopes way up and dash them way down. So we, we're real low-key on that God heals and praying about healing, although we believe in it and we've seen God do it. But in this matter of the heart, it's like there's a, it's a heart sickness. It's not a, that their arm is broken or their heart is bad. It's, it's a bit more intangible than that. It's really something that the doctors can't even do anything about, and neither really can the psychologist most of the time. But to know uh, that from this passage we looked at, that he came to heal the brokenhearted, that that, that was very high on his list of priorities. He's, God didn't come just looking for all the people that had everything together. And then all then there are all these seconds, you know, the ones that aren't quite together, but we'll just kind of include them anyway because we're merciful and kind, you know. He says, no, no, I really can't. Those are the ones that I kind of more came for. They, these other ones that are fine, well, that's fine, you know. That's the 99. We'll leave the 99 for, you know, and go look for that little one that's brokenhearted, that's wandered off. And to know tonight, to have that assurance that God hasn't forgotten you, 
that he hasn't marginalized you, that his eyes especially on you because his radar picks up that broken heart and the sound it emits, that cry that rose up in Egypt when they were brokenhearted in their slavery. He says, their cry has risen up before me. And he says, I've got to respond and move them out of that situation. God wants to heal. Time does not heal. Time doesn't heal. And often, even though God is in the process of healing us, it seems so slow. In fact, it sometimes doesn't seem like he's doing it at all. In fact, sometimes it seems like it's getting worse. But sometimes things have to get a bit worse before they get better. The Messiah came to bind up the brokenhearted. And we should learn to rest in that, that one day I will be healed, and it's, he is working on it even now as I speak, and I can trust in him. His healing doesn't mean in this life that you'll ever forget it necessarily. But the sting will be gone. You realize there's a difference between an open wound and a wound that's healed but leaves a scar? I mean, you could probably give me a catalog right now of the different scars all over your body. Uh, but you wouldn't be sitting here tonight if they were all open wounds. So there's still the mark. And in the same way, what's broken your heart will leave a scar probably until heaven. We'll have a new body in heaven. The only person with a scar or a wound in heaven is Jesus. All of the wounds will be healed. He is standing as a lamb though slain. And he's the only imperfect one in heaven, the one who is marred, because that's his glory. Love that sacrifices itself for another. It doesn't mean you'll forget it, but it will be healed. A third thing we can think about is how does God heal the heart? What, what are some of the means of grace that God uses to heal our heart? And these are some of the things that are listed in our statement of faith. I'm sure the statement of faith of many, many different churches, uh, denominations. But God heals us through the Word of God, that Scripture flowing through our mind and our heart. He heals us through the prayer of faith, and we're going to look at one of those prayers in just a minute. Through the prayer of faith, ask other people to pray for you. And don't just say, well, remember me in prayer. You know, if you're with a minister or somebody, say, would you pray for me right now? Would you have a word of prayer for me? You need to hear their prayer. I mean, it doesn't have to be that way always, but, but don't, don't avoid that. Don't just say, well, be praying for me, you know, well, if you can talk them into it, get them to pray for you right then, too. And then, then, then maybe also they'll remember later. That's fine. But a, a, a prayer in the hand is worth two in the bush, so to speak. And uh, so go ahead and uh, say, would you, would you... That was something so meaningful in Argentina because they were so eager and prepared to do that. Well, let me pray for you right now. And uh, they just put their hand on, on your shoulder. And it was just so encouraging. And if your heart is hurting, uh, ask God to show you, Lord, show me who you'd like to use to have a word of prayer for me, with me. Third means of grace is uh, how does God heal the heart? Uh, through the sacraments. It's the visible reminder of how much God loves you through the bread and the wine, his body and his blood in a, in a mysterious way that we can't explain. But to take that as food for your soul and healing for your heart. And third, the fellowship of believers. Are you connected in the church? 
uh, both to in some group for fellowship but even more so uh, in serving others one of the ways that God uses to heal your heart is by you thinking more about somebody else that's hurting worse than you and helping them and that that has an effect on your heart my mother is 82 and she really 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 misses my dad he died 16 years ago and she's a little better now but uh, she gives herself to serving she's 82 and she goes every week to play her 30 pound accordion for the Alzheimer's patients I mean she keeps busy all the time she's teaching uh, people how to read down at the Episcopal Church there's just all kind of things she's doing and uh, that's one of the ways also that God heals your heart and a fourth point on this is just recognizing what are the symptoms if my heart isn't healed if it's 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 not a scar it's still a wound it's oozing uh, it could be anger it could be depression low self-image it could be some kind of addictive behavior but if that healing is not taking place then that pain is going to manifest itself in some way I want us to look now at a passage of scripture and this is pretty much what we're going to do the rest of our time so but in the book of Ephesians there are two prayers the first one is in chapter 1, and, he, and, he, and in Ephesians 1, he, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, and he says, I want you to know what's the hope of your calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, what's the surpassing greatness of his power towards you as a believer. But his prayer is sort of to, for, for the believers, for us, to sense the nobility of what God is doing in our lives. He says, you're not just a you know number 4258 just sort of you know whether you're there or not it doesn't matter he says the nobility of what God is doing in your life but in the middle of, of Ephesians in the very heart of it he gives uh, one of the two longest prayers that he writes in the whole Bible and you think wow he really kinda got lengthy there this is longer than I think the uh, than the Lord's some some accounts of the Lord's Prayer and you think, well, what's Paul going to pray for these guys? Because the people in Ephesus surely had a lot more financial needs than we have. They probably had a lot more sick people than we have because they had horrible medical treatment, if you could even call it that. Uh, their living conditions were, were crummy. They probably didn't have running water or even a decent bathroom. And you think, well, what's he going to pray for them? Most of them probably couldn't read and didn't have a Bible. You think, well, maybe he's going to pray for, for Bibles or, or, or that they would learn to read or, or for the slaves that were there in Ephesus who were Christians, because he talks to them in, in, in Ephesians. Maybe he'd pray that they'd get free. Uh, maybe he'd pray for the troubled marriage. What's he going to pray for in the middle of Ephesians? And uh, so we want to take a look at that prayer. In the time we have left, he says, it's not on there, but he introduces it by saying, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And you think, well, why, why is he talking about the, the, uh, every family derives its name from the Father? Well, in, in Greek, the word Father is pater, or patros. And in Greek, the word for nation, or family, is uh, patria. And so it's pater, patria, it's, almost, it's a very similar kind of a word. And so he's saying every family, uh, the whole idea, the design behind the family is derived from the way God is. It's not just that he had an idea, it's the way he is. And that's the, way, the reason why the families are formed the way they are in terms of the relationships 
and the dynamics there. And what's he going to pray? He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. The filling of the Holy Spirit, the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Well, that's interesting. You know, he didn't pray for money, health, new bathroom or anything. Power in the inner person. What, well, what do they need this power for? I think, well, because you're going to go out and reach the world for Christ. You're going to build a church building in Ephesus. You're, you're going to do a seminary. What, what do they need this power for? Maybe it's to overcome sin. What do they need this power for? Let's look at the next thing. He says, you need all of this power so that Christ may dwell in your heart. I think, wow, I didn't need, think I needed that much help, you know. Have you ever had anybody move into your house? Well, you did when you got married. <laughs> so it's an adjustment, and it's also an adjustment when Christ moves in. Now, the, the sense here when it says that Christ may dwell in your heart, it doesn't mean that you've received Christ. It, it's already assuming that you've received Christ. The word there has to do with the word home, and, and it, it means to live in as a home. And what he's praying is, is that Christ would finally settle down and feel completely at home in your hearts that Christ would finally settle down and feel completely at home in your hearts. Paul's saying, strengthen them, Lord, so that Christ could really, really feel comfortable living in them. Not just them visiting him once a week and putting some money in the plate, offering up a prayer and saying, see you next week. He says, no, no, when they go out the door today, I'm going with them. So I don't know, that's kind of close, Lord. I was sort of hoping to keep you in the church and me in my home. He says, I'm coming home with you. He says, well, you're going to need to strengthen me for that. And then he says, I pray that you being rooted and established in love. The idea of rooted is something alive, going down, growing deeper and deeper. And the other word, established, comes from the word foundation. Just solid like cement and cinder blocks and all cemented together and and all that, those re-rods in there. He says, I want you to really get solid and established in what? In doctrine? That's what Presbyterians would first think. Yes, rooted in doctrine. Truth. That is the main thing. Well, it's very important. We wouldn't have anything that we're talking about tonight without that. But isn't it interesting that that's not what Paul prays? He says, I want you to be rooted and grounded, established in love. God's love flowing into your life and out through your life to others. He says that that's really where we're going. We're not we're not trying to form big heads, bigger hearts. I mean, you, all of this is on the basis of truth. So it's not an either or thing. But so if you just stop with truth and don't make it past the truth to the love that the truth was pointing to, you end up a midget. So that being rooted and grounded in love may have power together with all the saints. In other words, all the saints. This is for everybody. This is, oh, well, this is for the ministerial candidates. This is for the missionaries. No, he says, this is for all the saints. This is for everyone. <clears throat> together with all the saints, that you would be able to grasp how wide, long, high, and deep is the love of Christ. That word to grasp, kata lambano, it, it doesn't, lambano is to, is to grab, and kata on the front of it means really, really grab. Have you ever gotten really grabbed? You know, uh, there were times when you were hoping someone would really grab you, you know, when you were dating. Uh, <laughs> you know, there are other times when you're walking down a, a, a dark night, dark street, and you're thinking anything but anybody really grabbing me. But he says, I want you to really grab hold of this truth of the tremendous dimensions of the love of Christ. 
uh, how great God's love for you is. Because that's one of the things that's so hard in some of these broken-hearted situations. You just feel so, so empty, so lonely, so unloved, so untouched, so distant. And so Paul is praying something that would be good for any of us in any situation, but especially for the brokenhearted. He says, I wanted to just begin to fill your mind the tremendous dimensions of the love of God, of the love of Christ in your life. But it doesn't stop there with just getting a grasp of that. He says, but also to know this love that surpasses knowledge. <clears throat> this word know doesn't mean an intellectual knowledge, it means an experiential knowledge. I can study, I can take a picture of a stake, I can study it, I can measure it, I, <clears throat> I can weigh it, but there's a big difference between all of that and then I, t I cut into it and I take a bite. That's experiential knowledge. And isn't it interesting, Paul, in, with these Ephesians, with all of their needs, this is what he decides to pray for. This is the big prayer. That you, that the understanding that, that God loves you, that Christ loves you, it would so captivate your mind and explode in your heart that you could never be the same. There's just something different about you because God has done this work in you to convince you of how much you mean to Him, how much He loves you, how much He cares about the things that you care about, how close He is to weeping. Uh, when you weep and hurting when you hurt with what where is he going with this why does he want us to know this thing he says so that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God now how big is God so I used to go out at night uh, trying to you know sometimes you get distracted praying and I think sometimes you, you sort of pray as though you're just kind of talking to yourself. I mean, you don't evaluate it all that much, but um, some of us do. But So I'd go outside walking around and trying to keep remembering, now I'm not talking to myself, and I'm not talking to anybody else here. I'm talking to God who I can't see. And so I'd try to do things that would help me to keep that in mind. So I'd just look up out in one direction. And I would sort of, like Star Trek, you know how they're going out past the stuff. So I'd just sort of think out, way out, and further and further and further, about as far as I could think, out in one direction. And imagine God is at every point along, those, along that line, all at the same time. Well, that, so then I'd, I'd point at another direction. I'd th think out that away. Pastor Ryan, I'd keep going, you know, a couple of galaxies out. And then back that way, I'd do that about three or four. And then I'd go through the earth, in my mind thinking he's all the way down there too. So he's in all of those places, all at the same time, and also in all of those places, in every time, all at the same time. And then I sort of blow a fuse and I, I just go back to praying, but, but just, just the sense of the dimension of how enormous God is. And then Paul, look what Paul's praying here is. So that you may be filled up to the measure of all the fullness of God. We're gonna, your tiny little body, you're this little shrimp. And he says, uh, the, where I'm going with this prayer is so that we can put all of God, all of his fullness in you. They say, I'm going to explode like a piece of popcorn. I mean, I can't handle that. That's just too much. Uh, you think, where does Paul come up with this sort of a, an image? But when you think of uh, you're going through a brokenhearted period and you just feel so lonely, isn't it interesting that where what Paul is praying for and what God wants to do in your life is he wants to fill you up. 
with himself. And sometimes I think he allows spaces to open up in certain periods of our life because he wants to fill it with something different. And if we spend all of our time mourning his will, say, well, I just don't agree with this Lord. Why me? Why now? Why not somebody? Why not them, you know? Uh, and say, say, Lord, I accept your will. And I am counting on you to fill that space. I want to pray this prayer that Paul prayed. I want to, you to fill me up to the measure of the fullness of God. Would you believe him for that? And you think, well, that's kind of, you know, that's kind of far out, Henry. I mean, I, I can't even believe that's in the Bible. I didn't see that before. And he knows that they're going to be thinking, I mean, is this really possible? And so look at the next thing he says. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. In other words, he's saying, you think God can't do this? Oh, he can do, he can not only do that, he can do a whole lot more than that. To him be the glory in the church in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. I want to go over that one more time, but in a different way. What that verse said, God is able. He is able to do what we ask. But not only that, he's able to do all that we ask, that verse says. But not just that, he is able to do more than all that we ask. But not just that, he is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask. But not just that, he is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or even could ever possibly imagine. The problem is never with God's ability. If there's a limitation, it's, will you believe him? Will you trust him? We say, Lord, I am putting my life in your hands and I'm trusting that you came to bind up the brokenhearted and I'm trusting that you will do it in your way and I'm not going to play doctor. You're the doctor, I'm the patient. And it, the, things go best with doctors and patients when the patients do what the doctors tell them to do. So I'm going to cooperate, Lord, and trust that you are going to heal me, you're going to fill up the broken spaces, I want to close as we get to the end here just to declare to you what you already know but maybe don't feel he loves you he really cares deeply for you he cares about what you have gone through you're not just some cog in a great machinery there is sin in the world and therefore there is pain and suffering. The world is broken. It's not, it wasn't meant to be this way. You weren't meant to get old. Your body wasn't meant to break down. Your spouse wasn't meant to die. Your child wasn't meant to die. Wars weren't supposed to happen. That wasn't the original plan. We were only to cry tears of joy originally, but sin entered the world. And with sin, death and pain and suffering, and we have our share to go through. But let's take with us tonight that he, one of the main reasons he came was to draw close to the one that is feeling brokenhearted, the one who is needy, the one who is sad, the one who is feeling empty, that life has, is pointless. He particularly wants to draw near to you 
to say, maybe nobody else understands, but I understand. And I watch you all the time, and I think about you all the time, and I care for you more than you could possibly know. And the greatest need you have is to understand and believe and live in your heart, that it would captivate your mind and explode in your heart how much God loves you, those tremendous dimensions of how much He cares for you, thinks about you, looks at you, when you're awake, when you're asleep, when you're crying, when you're laughing, just like you did when you had a little baby and the baby never realized how much attention you were paying to it. Uh, and God pays you even more attention. The multitude of his thoughts toward you. He plans to heal you completely. This is not forever. It's, it's a moment, and it may be a long moment, and it may be a sad, difficult moment, but it's just a moment. This will pass. It's not going to be like this forever. Listen, he will heal you. Whatever's broken in your heart, he already has a plan. He says, just a little longer, just a little longer. Won't you trust me? Won't you trust me? I will heal you. That's why I came. I declared it 2,500 years ago that I was coming to heal the brokenhearted. I want you to grab onto that truth now and take it into your heart and say, Lord, whether it's a day, a week, a month, a year, 10 years, doesn't matter. I now have your word. I stand on your word. And I'm trusting that whether it's sooner or later, you will completely heal my broken heart. And at the end of the verse we read at the beginning, he says, I came to give a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Offer up your ashes to him tonight. He will give you a crown of beauty in his time. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. You're going to laugh again. You're going to smile again. You're going to once more have a song in your heart. And he will give you a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Will you trust him tonight? Will you give him your broken heart? Will you stop arguing and complaining against him and against life and against circumstances that that's not really, really the deepest problem? Stand to your feet and let's close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, how could we ever speak appropriately about these mysteries? And each person here, their pain is like a snowflake. Every snowflake is different. And as humans, Lord, we have little or nothing to offer those that are in such pain, need, despair tonight. But your word, Lord, your faithful word has come to us tonight through these passages of Scripture. You came, Lord to preach good news to the poor and to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. We claim tonight, Lord, that someday you will give us a crown of beauty instead of these ashes, the oil of gladness instead of this mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. By faith, we already enter into it. We claim it as our own and we declare our God is great, our God is good and he's so close and near and loves us so much. We love you, Daddy. 
teach us more about how much you love us. Sweep us up in your arms tonight, particularly the one that was feeling so low. Touch them deeply for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us on Bringing Truth to Life. If you like our content, please subscribe and give us a review. This helps more people find our podcast.